like to ask you tonight to please open your Bible to the book of 1 Thessalonians, the book of 1 Thessalonians, and if you would go to uh, chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4. I'm giving some serious thought to the possibility of running for president uh, during not this election, but the next one, but I'm only going to do it on one, ba- on one basis if Brother Joe will promise to be my campaign manager. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell him that those two boys didn't really tie. <laughs> uh, those were wonderful days, and I remember Brother Joe working in the uh, in the junior church and many other uh, wonderful college students. Well, I think my wife and I have had about the most enjoyable weekend we've had in a long, long time. We enjoyed yesterday, and we've enjoyed being with you folks today, and uh, thank you for letting us be here. Tonight I'm going to bring the kind of message that I enjoy the most. Uh, I I try to preach a variety of types of messages, not just the exact same type every single time. And tonight the type message I'm going to bring is the type that I enjoy bringing the most. I'm not saying it's going to be one of the best messages. In fact, it's not going to be what you would sometimes think of as a sermon. It's going to be more, oh, if you had to classify it, you might call it more like a Bible study than a sermon. But the reason I enjoy this type message so much is we're basically, basically going to let the Bible do the preaching tonight. And I really enjoy that. We're going to use our Bible a lot tonight. We're going to begin in the book of 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. But before I read uh, the first uh, text, I want to ask you a question. If you knew the will of God for your life, would you want to do it? If you knew for sure that something was the will of God... Would you want to do that? All right, if you would, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in uh, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Now, to me, it seems very clear that the will of God is that we are to abstain from fornication. Fornication is just a word that includes all sexual sins. And so it's very clear here that it's the will of God. Would you agree with me that it is the will of God? I don't think there's anybody in the room tonight that would argue the point that it is the will of God that we abstain from fornication. I think we can all understand that. I think we can all agree with with that is the will of God for us as Christians. All right, I want to show you another example. You know, some parts of the will of God are easy to understand, and uh, most all of us feel like it's, you know, fairly easy to to live by it. You know, we, we really believe this. This is what we ought to do, and we live that way. All right, now let me show you another example. Turn to chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and this time we're going to read verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So there it is again, the will of God. It's very clear. It's very easy to understand. I think we'd all agree to it. The will of God is that we give thanks. And by the way, giving thanks is different than just feeling thankful. You know, if I feel thankful, 
that doesn't do anybody any good except for me. I feel a little bit better because I felt thankful, but, but it doesn't do you any good unless I express those thanks to you, unless I give the thanks. And it's the will of God that I not only feel thankful, but it is the will of God that I express that gratitude to you. And so it is the will of God that we abstain from fornication. I think we all agree with that. It's the will of God that we give thanks. I think we all agree with that. Now, some parts of the will of God are easy to understand, and to an extent, uh, many of us have grown to the point in our life to where it's, it's, uh, it's fairly easy to live that way because it's become a pattern of life for us. You know, when I was a little child, my mother used to say, the same thing your mother said, what do you say? Tell him thank you. That was not just your mother teaching you manners. That was the will of God that she teach you to do that. Okay, now if you would turn to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, it's over towards the end of your Bible. If you come to the book of Concordance, you've gone too far. <laughs> come back just a little bit and you'll find the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, by the king, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that uh, do well. For this is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Did you see that? It said that it is the will of God that we submit ourselves unto every ordinance of man. Every ordinance of man. Now, I don't know about you. I can understand and agree that I should abstain from fornication. I don't know about you, but I can agree and understand, understand and agree that I should give thanks. But when the Bible says submit yourself to every ordinance of man, you mean even the speed limit that's 35 miles an hour when I'm in a hurry? Some parts of the will of God are easy to understand and easy to live by. But others are not quite as easy to live by. Okay, let me show you another example. If you would now go back to close to where we were to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Just a little bit before where you were in 1 Thessalonians. Just a book or two before that. Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, we're going to use quite a bit of scripture here in Ephesians. We're going to begin with verse 17. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now he said there in verse 17 that we're to be not unwise. Or in other words, he said, okay, children, put your fingers in your ears right now because I don't want you to hear what I'm about to say because if you repeat what I say when you get home, you might get a spanking. But what he said was, don't be stupid. <laughs> he, said, he said, be not unwise. He said, hey, don't be stupid about this, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, what he's saying is, you ought to be able to figure this out. He said, hey, look, don't, don't be stupid. You ought to be able to figure out what the will of the Lord is. All right, now let's continue reading in verse 18. And 
Now, before I go any further, uh, that first word there in verse 18 is the word and. I want to stop and remind you of a third grade English lesson that we all heard. Remember when you were in the third grade and your teacher taught you that the word and joined two thoughts together? We just read that he said, don't be unwise. You ought to be able to figure out what the will of the Lord is. And so what he's about to say is connected to what he just said. He didn't give us one thought and then stop and start with a different thought. He's got two thoughts here that are one thought together because they're joined with the word and. So look in verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Would you agree with me that it is the will of the Lord that we be not drunk with wine? Would you agree with that, that it's very clear that it's the will of the Lord that we be not drunk with wine? All right, let's continue reading in verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Would you agree with me that it is the will of the Lord that we be filled with the Spirit? You know, as much as it is the will of the Lord that we be not drunk with wine, that it is the will of the Lord that we be filled with the Spirit. I doubt there's anybody in the room tonight who has been drunk with wine in the last 24 hours. I hope. <laughs> you know, my, my, I hope. Uh, but, but, uh, but how many of us have been concerned in the last 24 hours about whether or not we were filled with the Spirit of God? As much as I'm not to be filled with the wine, I am to be filled with the Spirit of God. It is the will of God that I be filled with the Spirit. Let's continue reading in verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So it is the will of Lord that I speak to myself when I sing or read the psalms, when I sing or read the hymns, when I sing or read the spiritual songs. You know, when we come to church on, uh, uh, and, and we have the song service, we don't do that just so Joey will have something to do. We don't do that just because Brother Steve's good at it. We do that because it is the will of the Lord that we let those songs speak to our heart. You know, when we come to church and sing the songs together, we're not doing that so we can impress the person standing next to us about how well we can sing. We're doing that because we're supposed to let those words speak to our heart. We're supposed to let those songs get us ready for the preaching of the Word of God. You know, we've all had our other thoughts during the day and we've been busy doing this and that and the other all week long and planning a wedding and, and uh, cleaning up afterwards and, uh, and watching a little bit of a ball game on Sunday afternoon and this and that and working during the week and fixing this at the house and repairing that and prayer, uh, doing this meal and cleaning that room and washing the laundry and, and we come to church and our minds everywhere in the world except focused on God. And God knew that we were going to live that kind of lifestyle here on this earth. He had enough sense to know it. So he planned it such that we would use these spiritual songs, these hymns and these psalms that we sing to tune our heart in with him. We're to let those speak to our heart. That's the will of the Lord. And then it says singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, you know, when we sing, we're not to sing. Okay, I said to somebody in the lobby uh, 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 before the service started tonight. I had to, I had to work this morning at controlling my emotions while Brother Joey was standing up here singing because that song was speaking to my heart because I felt like he was singing not to me or anybody else in the room, but he was singing to him. And that's the way we're supposed to do it. That's the will of the Lord. All right, let's continue reading in verse twenty. 
giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. We're to give thanks. It's the will of the Lord that we give thanks. Verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, I want to show you another third grade reading lesson, third grade English lesson. You have to remember that the Bible, when it was originally recorded here on the earth, and I use that phrase because the Bible always has been. There never was a time when the Bible wasn't. It just always has been. That's hard for us to understand, just like it's hard for us to understand that God always has been. But the Bible always has been. It's been settled in heaven forever, and it will be forever. But when God dictated it or inspired men here on this earth to record it, you have to understand they didn't record it in chapters and verses. Okay, the book of Ephesians is a letter. It was a letter written by a man by the name of Paul to some Christians that he had won to the Lord in the town of Ephesus. And so we call it the book of the Ephesians. And, and, and when Paul wrote that letter, he didn't write. Okay, have you ever written a letter to anybody? <laughs> Do you write your letters in chapters and verses? No, you just write sentences and paragraphs. But, you know, somebody down through the years uh, took the Bible and divided it into uh, chapters and verses. You have to understand that was not part of the original inspiration of the Bible. There's nothing wrong with, okay, there's nothing wrong with having a concordance at the end of your Bible. There's nothing wrong with having chapters and verses in the Bible. In fact, it's very helpful. Somebody just did it to help us. You know, it'd be kind of difficult if I said, find that book that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And when you do, look about three-fourths of the way through that book until you find that statement that says, we'd be here all night looking for that. But when I say open your Bibles to chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, we all go right to it. But you have to understand that those chapters and verses were not inspired. And so what we have to do is be careful that we don't take those verses as if each verse stands on on its own as if it was inspired that way. We wouldn't read any other book like that. We wouldn't pick up our history book and just pick out one phrase in the middle of a sentence and say, see, that right there proves such and such about history. No, we read the whole sentence. We read the whole paragraph. We read the whole chapter. So you have to be careful that you understand verses 18 through 21. All right, let me reread those verses for you. And you watch the punctuation as I read. Beginning in verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, period. You notice that? That whole passage there, those four verses were actually one, what do we call it, a sentence, one complete thought. So therefore, based on the grammar, the Bible says that, not, uh, that every jot and tittle in the Bible is there on purpose. Every punctuation mark, it's all there on purpose. And, and therefore, submitting yourselves one to another is as much the will of God as being not drunk with wine. Submitting yourselves one to another is as much the will of God as being filled with the Spirit of God. 
Submitting yourselves one to another is as much the will of God as, as it is that we're to let the song speak to our heart and we're to sing to Him. And it is as much the will of God that we submit ourselves one to another as it is that we give thanks. Okay, let me, let me show you show an example of what it's talking about. If you would look in chapter 6 and go to verse 5. Still in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service, not doing it just because the boss is looking, as men pleasers, not doing it just so you can get a promotion on the job, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God, the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, not just to your boss or the owner of the company, knowing that that whatsoever good any uh, any uh, whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Let me explain that to you. And their day, they had a system whereby if you couldn't pay your debt then you would bond yourself to somebody as their servant for a certain period of time and you would work for them uh, for so many hours or so many days or so many weeks or months or years until it worked off your debt. And during that time, you were a bond servant. Or he said, whether you're a bond servant, you've, you've committed yourself to somebody because of the debt you owe them, or if you're free, like we think of here in America, uh, uh, having the freedom to choose what job we want. So when he says, servants, be obedient to your masters, what he's saying there is for the employee to be obedient to the owner of the company or the boss on the job. Would you agree it is the will of the Lord that you and I as Christians, if we have a job, that we be good employees? Would you agree that, that it teaches right there in the Bible that, that if I have a job and I'm a Christian, that I ought to be a good employee on that job? I ought to work hard, I ought to show up on time, I ought to obey the boss, I ought to obey the company rules. Seems obvious it's teaching that, doesn't it? All right, then let's continue reading in verse 9. And ye masters... Do the same things unto them, unto the servants, for bearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him, with God. Let me explain to you what those words, same things, mean. You know, I, I went to school for 16 years, and, and, and I've, been in, I've worked in, at a college for 41 years. I, I've served uh, for about uh, 25 years now in the administration of the college. 11 of those years, I was president of the college. And with all that uh, educational experience I have, let me explain to you what those words mean, same things. Those words actually mean same things. And he says there in verse 9, Ye masters do the same things unto them, unto the servants. Okay, if the master is supposed to do the same thing to the servant that the servant is supposed to do to the master, couldn't we go back to verse 5 and read it like this? Wouldn't it be justifiable to read it like this in verse 5? Masters, be obedient to them that are your servants according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not, uh, not with 
eye service as men pleasers, not just to get your employees to do a better job, but do it, but, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Would you agree with me that it's teaching here that the servant is to be obedient to the boss, but the boss is also to be obedient to the needs of the servant. Have you ever had a job where you had a boss that seemed to care about you as an individual about as much as he wanted you to care about the work he needed you to do? I've had a boss like that a time or two in my life. I've had one like that right now. And man, it works. It makes for a great working relationship. This thing of uh, submitting yourselves one to another is a two-way street. The servant is to, to, to submit himself to the, the master, and the master is to submit himself to the needs of the servant. All right, let me show you another example. Look back now in chapter 6 at verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Would you agree that it is the will of the Lord that the children obey their parents? How about it, parents? Can I get an amen out of you, out of that one? Is that whatever parent here in the room tonight agree with me that children ought to obey their parents? Okay, then let's continue reading in verse 4. And, oh, there's that word again. And what we're about to read is connected to what we just read. We just read the children will be obedient uh, to the parents. And now we're about to read something connected to that thought. And ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do you know that there is... A, a, the, there is a, such a thing as rearing your children in such a way that when you discipline them, they, that you, you don't make them more angry than they already were before they got in trouble. You know, it is possible to discipline a child, and when he's finished, he's actually glad, uh, glad it's finished. <laughs> but, but not only that, but he's glad that you loved him enough to make him do right. You know, that's a whole different lesson I'm not going to go into tonight. My wife and I teach a course at the college on rearing children, and, and I teach a whole lesson on that. But you know, if every single time you discipline your child, he is more angry when you finish than he was when you started, there's something wrong. And it says here that you're, to, you're not to provoke your children to wrath, and you're to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, would you agree with me that if the children obey their parents about 80% of the time, that'd be good enough? Well, okay, how about 90% of the time? Well, suppose we uh, say the children obey their parents every day except Monday. You will give Monday off. Okay, on Monday you don't have to obey your parents. Hmm. We expect the children to obey us every single time. But do we obey the Scripture Every single time when it says bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In such a way that it doesn't provoke them to anger. Well, you know, we go to church most of the time and, you know, unless something kind of gets in the way. Well, we bring our children to church uh, uh, more Sundays than we don't. Well, we read our Bible to our children occasionally. Well, you know, sometimes if we're not in a hurry, we pray for our meal. You know, it said bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And as often, it, okay, the two thoughts are connected. As often as I expect them to obey me, I'm obligated to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
me show you another example. Go back to chapter 5, verse 21. Chapter 5, verse 21. We read this earlier. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Verse 22. Very next statement. Wives submit. Okay, and I know some ladies right now are thinking, I knew he was going there. I knew he would get back there in a minute. We'd get there eventually. (laughs) Well, okay, we're there. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And now look down at verse uh, 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Did you notice there? There was four times that the wife was commanded or reminded that it is her, uh, it is the will of God that, uh, that she submit to her husband. All right, let me show them to you. Four times. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. That's once. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. That's twice. Look at verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. That's three. Now look down at the last phrase of verse 33. And the wives see that she reverence her husband. Four times the wife is commanded or reminded to, to submit herself to her husband. Okay? But now, let's go to verse 25. Husbands... Love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Boy, that is some pretty strong language. I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. What did Christ give? He gave his very life. So what portion of me do I have the right to hold back from what when my wife has a need? What portion of me do I have the right to say, well, I'll help you every way I can except. That's some pretty strong language. I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. All right, let's continue reading in verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. You ever stuck your hand in a fire by accident? You ever touched something hot and your hand screamed, that hurts? And you said to your hand, I'm sorry, I'm busy. You said to your hand, I don't care, I've got other things to do. You said to your hand, well, the rest of the body's got more important things going on right now. You'll just have to wait. I'll get around to you when I... No, when your body, when, you're, when that hand is hurting, I mean, you respond right now. And I'm to love my wife, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Look at verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Did you notice how many times the husband was commanded and reminded to submit himself to the needs of his wife, the the need that she has to be loved? 
Huh, let's just see how many times. Look in verse 25. Husband, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's once. Now look in verse 20, 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own body. That's twice. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. That's three. Look in verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife as even as himself. Four times. Huh, isn't that amazing? God told the wife four times, submit yourself to your husband, told her and reminded her. And he told the husband and reminded him four times to submit yourself to the need of your wife to be loved. I know what some lady's thinking right now. Well, if he told the wife four times and he told the husband four times, then why do we hear so much emphasis about the wife submitting herself to the husband? Well, that's easy. It's because us men do all the preaching. (laughs) He, he, he said, don't be stupid. You ought to be able to figure this out. <laughs> I mean, that one's easy. No, it's a two-way street. And every relationship in, wife, in life is a two-way street. And boy, does it make for a great relationship when the traffic's going both ways. When we submit ourselves one unto another. When the boss and the employee submit themselves one unto the other, boy, it makes for a great working relationship. When the children and the parents submit themselves one to another, boy, does it make for a great, a great home. When the husband and the wife submit themselves one to another, boy, does it make for a great marriage. You know, I'm going to make the, uh, I'm going to make the, uh, the, the statement of the year right here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shock you with my, with my, uh, my uh, uh, knowledge and wisdom here. God is real smart. He's smart enough to know how we can have great relationships by submitting ourselves one to another. Not just one always submit. But you know, the the tragedy is this. Most relationships in life that function fairly well is because one of the two in the relationship have figured out that if I'll give in every single time, we'll get along. And the other one just doesn't get it, what's happening. You ever been in a relationship like that? You ever been in a relationship where you feel like you're putting in and you're putting in and you're putting in and you're putting in, but you just don't get back out of it what you, what you really felt like you, 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 you should be getting back out? You ever get kind of, okay, are you like me? You sometimes get a little frustrated when you're, in a, when you're stuck in a relationship like that. I'm not there yet, but I'll tell you where I want to get someday. One of these days, I want to become a good enough Christian that I can remember that it said not submit yourself to him so he'll submit himself to you. Submit yourself to her so she'll submit herself to you. No, that's not what it said. It said submit yourself to him for his sake, regardless of what he does, regardless of what she does. Yes, sometimes when I put into a relationship what I think I should and I don't get back out of it, I am weak enough that that frustrates me. But I'd like to become strong enough that one of these days it doesn't frustrate me because of what I'm not getting out of it, but because of what he's not getting out of it. I'm supposed to do it as unto him. I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed.